Okay, I've got a question for you. I've got two questions for you this morning. If you were in charge of the world, what would take more time and effort? A, creating the world. B, redeeming the world. Or C, judging the world. A, B, or C. Okay, well, you know, multiple choice. Possibly not a, bad, a, a, a wrong answer. But what would you do? How many would uh, take more time in creating the world? Raise your hand. How many think it would take more time to redeem the world? <laughs> and how many think it would take more time to judge the world? Wouldn't like to be doing that, would you? I don't think I would either. <clears throat> God has a prophetic clock for the return of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you this question. If you were in charge of that clock, prophetic clock, would you speed it up or would you slow it down? Would you speed the clock up so we could get to eternity faster? Or would you slow that clock, prophetic clock down? Now that's not, that's an interesting question, I thought. What would you do? Slow it down. Slow it down? Give more people more time? Well, I got two grandkids now, so this gives me more time to play with them whenever. <laughs> <laughs> hey. I'm human. You're a human, okay. Your wife has told me that. You wouldn't speed it up? For believers, I think we're kind of ready for it, you know. But yet there's a lot of folks we don't know that uh, we'd like to be brought into that, don't we? So, two interesting questions. Did you know there are 23,000 verses in the Bible? You probably think I counted all those. I didn't. 20, just a little over 23,000 total verses in the entire Bible. And a little over 8,000 of those verses are about prophetic utterances or events or statements. What does that tell you? That 25% of all the scripture is prophetic. Either Old Testament or New Testament. How many of y'all didn't know that? I didn't know that before I read it here just recently. And for you all that didn't raise your hands, you're lying. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't know it either, you know? You didn't know it either. Now, prophecy is really kind of a window that God has opened for us to see things in the future. And he has a purpose in that, and we're going to kind of discuss that. Have you ever felt like right now your time, you ever felt like you're on a treadmill? 
treadmill you can't get off of, of time and effort, things you're trying to do. You've got family things, and of course, those family situations change, don't they? They keep on being modified, but you have things inside the house to be doing. You have things outside the house you can be doing. And you have places you want to go, don't you? People you would like to see, visit more with, things you would still like to do in this life. So, and it seems, and I think the older we get, don't we get more concerned about time? Or think it is more precious than it was when we were young? We look back, and boy, it's gone fast. Well, if you look at what's going on with God, uh, God has a time frame of, of things that he wants to accomplish. And so we're going to be looking at that. We're, we're studying the book of Matthew. And about last November, Doug gave me this uh, chapter, actually two chapters to look at. And so he said, Chuck, can you finish it in one week? I said, Doug, you don't know this group very well. It's hard, to, it's hard to finish anything in one week. Most Sundays I walked out of here not getting everything said or done that I thought I would like to get said and done. But God took care of that. We just go on to the next one. So if you look at your Bibles, if you look at uh, uh, chapter 24, is where we're going to start in Matthew. God is the driving force behind this world. He's driving people. He's driving events. He's driving circumstances to the end of the age and the return of Jesus Christ. How do most folks view life or the world system? Well, they view it three ways. One is their personal circumstances. You view it that way. You view it also through your, your economic circumstances. And, and what's going and you also do view it through your political. Those are the three main things you kind of view life as or with. Well, what a lot of people fail to do is consider God's word when they're looking at time and, and what's going on. So um, let's take a, look, a hard look at um, this, this, this chapter. We'll start with verses 1 through 3. Would someone read verses 1 through 3 this morning for me? Hey, I don't have anybody up here with any, uh, what do you call it, microphones. Well, there you are. Okay, go ahead, Michael. Could you, could you read the first three verses? As long as we're here, sure. Huh? Sure. Okay, thank you, sir. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these things, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? They're talking about the temple, right? They say that Solomon's temple took about 20 years to build. I'll accept that and go on, okay? They, they talk about the rebuilt temple because the Babylonian Empire came in and did a lot of damage. 
and it took about 47 or 48 years, they say, to 45, somewhere in there, to rebuild that temple that and it looked like in Jesus' time. Any way you slice the cake, it was a magnificent building. It was beautiful. It was large. You know, they could hold 5,000 people. It was, you know, a magnificent building. And now he's telling his disciples that that building, that not one stone is going to be left on top of another stone. Then the, his, his, the disciples ask him a question, don't they? We just read those questions in the first three verses. <clears throat> what you need to understand or think about, he was not asking them one question. Disciples weren't asking one question. They were asking three questions. And the questions were, uh, when will the temple be destroyed? What are the signs or signs of Jesus returning? And when would the world end and eternity begin? They were basically answering, asking three questions. And what we're going to find in chapter 24 and 25 are the answers not just to one question, but he's going to be talking about answers to all, all three questions, plus his own insight into some things. In, I understand in Jewish thought, they thought the temple being destroyed, the, 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 Jesus, the Messiah coming again, and the end of time or end of the age, however you want to say it, we're all going to happen at the same time. And that's not really true. Now, there's a sequence of events. So he talks, Jesus talks about signs. So someone like to read verses 4 through 14. Jesus is talking about some signs that will come before he, he, he has returned or the world ends. And he outlines some of those what those signs are and signs for us to be watching for. Does anyone want to read 4 through 14? Thank you. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdoms against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Thank you. Let me interject one point before we get too far into this. Um, all the preachers and all the teachers all the elders of this church sign a statement that they will only speak or teach from the doctoral 
statement of Christ's chapel. And that's kind of how we're presenting it, uh, this, this information. And uh, to sum it up, so in this particular chapter, in this particular information, Christ's chapel uh, stands is that there will be a rapture, and then after the rapture, there'll be a seven year when the, when the Antichrist is revealed. In the middle of that seven years, three and a half, um, that uh, there'll be an abomination, a desolation, or some things happening in the, a rebuilt temple. And then the, the last three and a half years, the great tribulation, and then Christ returning for a thousand years. Now, if you hold to a different belief, that's fine. If, you think you're, if you're mid-trib or you know, whatever you might be, that's fine. There are things that cannot separate us, like the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no, but you can have some different thoughts about this, but what we're doing is presenting it from the doctoral statement of Christ's chapel, okay? Because if, if I didn't, they'd shoot me until God I died. Okay? Now, what does it say in verse 4? Look at what it says in verse 4. Don't be deceived. The first thing Jesus is telling his disciples before he gives these signs, he says, don't be deceived. Does that mean we could be deceived? And so he's, he's trying to tell us, uh, you know, get a good education on this. You know, <laughs> Don't be deceived. You're at risk of being deceived. What are some signs that Jesus says it will be before he returns? What are some of the signs they talked about in these verses? What? Right. False prophets, false... What else? Is that all? War? War? Earthquakes. Earthquakes? Didn't California have another one this past weekend? Huh? Was it Puerto Rico? Not, not California? Yeah, okay. Well, what else? Talked about famines? You'll be hated. Believers will be hated. What? Pestilence. Pestilence. What else is going to happen? Isn't this exciting stuff? Aren't you looking forward for this happening? Well, if you're a believer, you won't be there. And um, we could, we, we, there's a lot of side roads we could go down with all this topic. What else is going to happen? Nations are going to have to rise over against nations. That takes time and effort, doesn't it? It takes time to want a nation to build up and, and time to get conquered. Divisions within families. And I guess that would mean what? You think their belief system, maybe? What some of your members of your own family might believe differently than you uh, about there is a Jesus Christ, there is something to all that. Love will grow cold. Huh. See any of that? A world of violence? 
natural disasters. What will natural disasters be? What does the Bible says? What are we saying here? They will be signs, will they not be? Of Jesus coming. What else? What? Okay, okay. Sin and wickedness will be more mainstream, will it not? Are we seeing any of that stuff in our lives? Has it increased since you were young, much younger than we are now? Still happening, isn't it? Signs are still there. That doesn't mean they're finished yet, but they're still there. Look at um, verse 5. Many will come in my name. Many will be deceived. Look at verse 10 and 11. Many will turn away from the faith. Uh, Many will hate one another. Many false prophets. Many people will be deceived. 12, because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Many, many, many. Those are signs, aren't they? How did Jesus describe these signs? Come on. This, this, this is 101. Huh? Birth pains. Do birth pains get worse as a child gets closer for delivery? Most you women probably wouldn't know that. You probably just take a pill, huh? Right? Chucky, we don't need a male chauvinist up here, right? I don't know what they had in Jesus' day for that kind of stuff. Hmm. Now there's also a really big sign coming. You want to look at the really, really, really big sign? Someone needs to read then verses 15 through 25. Will someone do that? Give it to Don again. He's sitting there. Okay, go, Pat. That's fine. Thank you, ma'am. You all are quiet this morning. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. 
At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. Okay. Look at verse 15 again. He's getting, Jesus is, is describing this, is he not? And what's the last thing he says in verse 15? Let the reader understand. Let the reader understand. Did you understand that? We were supposed to understand that. He wants us to understand that. You know what that tells me? God's word is not a secret. It needs to be understood. Just how bad will all this abomination and destruction that Jesus is talking about be? How bad will it really be? Anything worse than what we've seen before? Yeah, that is true, that is true. What is the abomination of desolation? Let me describe it to you as I, as I believe it is. The abomination, there's going to be that seven-year period of time. We won't be here. There will be believers here, and they call them tri uh, tribulation believers, tribulation saints, people that come to Jesus Christ after that. Uh, the Antichrist will sign a peace treaty with Israel and he will not be identified until after the rapture of the church. He's going to sign that peace treaty. Why is he signing a peace treaty? Why do you think he's signing a peace treaty? Okay. That certainly won't answer. Yes, you believe it. Could be. What? Deception. Okay. Why is a peace tree with Israel even needed at that time? Ever thought about that? I think the possibility exists there might be another war in the Middle East that um, it's going to be bad enough to where uh, th this peace treaty is going to settle or put everybody at bay between the, uh, Israel and the rest of the world. And during that peace, he's going to rebuild, he's going to build, they're going to build that temple. And when that temple's built three and a half years later, What's going to happen? The Antichrist is going to come in there and proclaims himself to be God and, told, and tells everyone that you must worship him. That is the action, I believe, of the abomination and desolation that they're talking about. 
Don't be scared of this information. Don't be scared of this topic. He wants us to understand it. We don't have all the details. We have to accept what we, we read and, and try to understand it in that regard. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God's going to be very happy with Israel rebuilding a temple and having animal sacrifices in it? Hmm? No. Okay. Let's look at verses 26 through 35. Jesus talks about his return. I think he's, he might have already said it or he's going to say it in these verses. If he does not return because of how severe things are, how badly the world is going after each other's throats, all the wars, the famines, and, every, and all the judgment that's going on, if he does not come back, uh, then the world will really kind of destroy itself. And uh, so that's, one, that's a basic reason why he might be coming back. But he gives us some information about his return. He doesn't give us timing, though, does he? Who's that representative in Congress lady? Uh, she's a Muslim or something. I don't know what she is. But um, talking about the environment and that the world's going to be destroyed in 11 years. Yeah, 11, 11 years. We've got 11 years, and it's going to be gone. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see what Jesus says about some of that stuff. Uh, verses um, 26 through 35 talks about his return. Would someone read those verses? We got, we got, we got someone? Right here. Okay. See, I have told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender, and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Thank you very much. What does Jesus tell us about his return? He says he's coming back. What do these verses tell us about that return? Are you, you all awake this morning? 
Okay. Um, he talks about the lightning and all that. You know, we're not going to be deceived by false messiahs because we know it's going to be a magnificent thing and he's going to be riding yeah. with and written on his thigh will say king of kings and lord it's only those that don't know the word are mm -hmm. going to be deceived by false messiahs yeah. there'll be a whole lot of difference in the, being able to identify who the real christ is and who are all these uh, uh other others that are not sorry but it's interesting that it, we were reading earlier that some of the false messiahs are going to be able to do certain yeah. magnificent things so that, that that could set up a lot of people will be deceived. Well, they, they say in the Bible that they're going, to be, uh, they're going to be doing things that are going to be able, even be able to fool the elect. How easy are you going to be fooled? Or I'm going to be fooled. That's correct. Right. You're going to be there for. I don't. My my own personal opinion is, I I don't think he's going to come in our lifetime. Okay. I think it's getting closer. But that's just an opinion. But we're either going to, I think, we'll die a natural death and and go to heaven and be with him, the Lord, at that point in time. But yes, the, that's always possible. He could come next Sunday afternoon about 5.30 when the Super Bowl starts. <laughs> you know? It'd be just like, you know. Yeah. When he, his return will not be an, an isolated event. It will be very public. They say everyone will be able to see his return. And has that been only made possible through all our televisions and through satellites, seeing other things live on the end of the other side of the world? That make, help, makes all that possible. Huh? No, that's, that's true too. That's true too. You know, he's going he's to figure it out. Yes, Jim. Matthew here, if you look back at 14, this is, to me, the closest guide is when the end is going to be here. And we just, we kind of went right over it, but it starts, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world mm -hmm. as a testimony to whole nations. And then the key word right. is words, and then the end will come. Yeah. So it, it makes the point to me, like, and, and we're getting there. You know, the gospel oh, yeah, has we're been proclaimed just about to all the nations. Yeah. Not quite all, but we're yeah. just about there. We're living in the last days. The last days started when Jesus Christ came. Or was uh, uh, raised from the dead. He, that's when the last days started. And he's still, God's still putting the furniture in place. And I don't think it's all quite in place, but, you know, he could come this afternoon. But everyone's going to see it. Everyone's going to know about it. It's going to be visible to all. Now, in the, our closing moments, I want to look at four parables that, that Jesus 
uses to describe what's going to happen, okay? One, the first one it starts in uh, 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 verses 45 through the end of the chapter, 45 through 51. The parable about the faithful servant, or in the, and he calls it the wicked servant. You could probably say the unfaithful servant. Who would read that particular parable? Michael, you over there? Where are we? I got Where are we? Steve's got somebody. Steve's got somebody. Hello. Hello. I'm sorry, I didn't see you back there. That's okay. It, it's 45, right, of chapter 45 24. 45 to the end of the chapter, right. Okay. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is straying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. That's, that, that's one parable that Jesus uses. But chapter 25 also goes with chapter 24. Okay? And Jesus is continuing this parable trying to explain to them in various parables about the uh, about, the, about this, these situations. And the first one's a, the parable about the, the ten virgins in verses 1 through 13. Would someone read those? Okay, Don, thank you. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with the lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all become drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Okay. Another example of that, the ten virgins. The next one, parable, he talks about the parable of the talents. Uh, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Michael? For it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. <coughs> He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. 
So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours." But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I do have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have, it re should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to he who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance." But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you. Okay, he's given three parables so far. One in Matthew 24 about the faithful and the wicked or the unfaithful servant. And what's the result of that? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Indication is separation. Then you had the parable of the ten virgins. And they, five, five were, not un, were unprepared, were they not? And what happens to them? They get locked out. They cannot, and of course the groom always ref, can refer to Christ uh, when, he, and when he returns or when he comes back. And then the, what uh, Michael just read about the talents. God has given everyone certain talents, certain gifts, certain abilities. And some are going to use that wisely and be faithful in, in, in doing that for him. And the others are just going to be unfaithful. And again, what is their destination? The same thing as the other servant. And now you get into the last parable that he's trying to sum it all up. And that starts in... Um, oh, where does it start? It starts in... Uh, where are we? Where are we? Uh, verse 31, the parable of the sheep and the goats. Verse 31. Will someone read that to the end of the chapter? 31. Okay, Pat, thank you. Just someone answer. Go ahead. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. <clears throat> he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. 
I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in the prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for me, one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Thank you. Sheep and the goats, right? Believers, unbelievers, right? No. 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 Do the X. And if you start this lesson back in chapter 22, Jesus tells the story. All of you are familiar with the story of the wedding feast that he throws and nobody shows up for it. Um, Then in chapter 23, you've heard the woe woe to the scribes and the Pharisees. And he's angry at them because they think they've got the answer. Remember, the Jews thought they had the answer by behavior. Then what happens, and this is where Chuck starts his lesson, is they're in the middle when the disciples say... When are you coming again? They want to know kind of the bottom line. When are you coming? When do we get to go to heaven? When do we get our reward? Is essentially what they're asking. Then what happens, as Chuck's pointed out, then we get a handful of parables. We get lessons after that where Jesus is saying to people, he's, he's trying to tell them, say, don't worry about when the end is coming. Don't worry about when you're going to get your reward. Don't worry about doing the right thing and getting the deal. He says, In the meantime, day by day, hour by hour, event by event, just do the deal. Just worship Jesus. Um, In the middle of this, in the middle of this chiasm, comes the young man who says, what is the most important rule? And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that's in 23, right? It's either at the end of 22, before he does the woe to the scribes and Pharisees, or right at the end of 23, when, they, when he says, what is the main rule? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your might. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then the rest of this lesson is a lesson that says, don't spend your time worrying about when the end is coming and when you're going to get your reward and whether you're going to go to heaven. In the meantime, he said, feed the hungry, comfort the ill, comfort the poor in spirit. And God will take care of all the rest for you. And that's where this ends, where Chuck ends this thing. 
at the end, which is just do the deal. Just do the deal day by day. Don't worry about when the end is coming. And that's kind of a four-chapter chiasm. Well, you're right about the fact that um, uh, Jesus is, is really trying to tell them there are certain events that will happen, but you don't need to know the timing of those events. Um, and, that, and I think through these parables that basically Jesus has done three things. One, he's talked about the end time. Two, he's reminding believers just to be faithful in their walk and do all the things that uh, he's called us to do. Just be faithful. And third, there are eternal consequences uh, for those who have not accepted him. And so uh, he's, he's kind of pointing out three different things, but he's pointing them out in three di several different ways. Uh, through the servant, through the uh, virgins, and through the talents. So um, you could really sum it up. I, I could sum up these parables in six words. Remain faithful. Prepare for Christ's return. Remain faithful. Prepare for Christ's return. Now, let's go ahead and stand and I'll... You don't have to hold hands today because we're in the flu season. Okay? Now, who's talking about all these end time events and God's eternal judgment? Jesus Christ himself is talking about them. They're not found in, you know, uh, Daniel has, is in the Old Testament, is what Revelation is to the New Testament, but you have Jesus now making his own statements about this, you know, it's coming from the boss. It's coming from the man. It's coming from the king of kings and lord of lords. And so our job is just to be faithful, try to understand this, walk by faith, and be doing what he wants us to do, which is what? What does he want us to be doing? To foreign his cause and honoring his son. Now, let me ask you this question. Since God controls the past and he controls all future history, don't you think he can take care of your individual circumstances that you're dealing with right now? Yeah, he can. If he can do all that, this is no big jump for him to help you in any way you might need it or to lead and guide and direct you in any way you might need it or anything you might be going through. You know the problem with us? Maybe the problem with you, not me. Uh, the problem with us is what? We take our burdens to the Lord. But we, the problem is we take them back. And we just don't leave them there. Take your burdens to the Lord. Leave them there. And just walk in faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you for preparing a home for us. And I just pray that each one of us would be faithful to you of the time we all have left to honor your son and worship you and, be your, your, and, and to be your um, spokesman to, to a hurting world, Heavenly Father and that uh, 
uh, we would be faithful to you and your holy word. Give us understanding of your holy word, not only of this topic, but of every other topic, so we might have the wisdom and that you get the knowledge and you give us the wisdom and we will always be led by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this group. Thank you for this time. Bless our day. Walk before us. Be behind us. Be beside us. Be over us, Heavenly Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.